0: Breaking the Stigma of Addiction. This is Zach's Life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both both inside and and outside outside of of their their addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hey
1: everyone, I'm here today with David McCarthy. Uh, David is a, uh, a new friend of mine. David, we're happy to have you here. Thank you, Jim. And now this is just how strange uh, these things happen. So you may be out playing pickleball one day and uh, you're talking to a guy. And then in the next day, you're talking to him and you hear stories of uh, incredible exploits. (laughs) And we will just we'll just
0: leave it at that for now. I've met a lot of really neat people on the pickleball court. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I I used to play golf all the time, and now I'm playing pickleball, uh, thanks to my sister introducing me to it. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: no, it's it's a great it's a great uh, it's a great sport and and fun for us guys as we start to get a little older,
0: right? Not to move around quite as much.
1: That's right. Right. That's right. And um, uh, so so David, let me ask you how did you how did you come to uh, learn about about the Zachary Horton foundation about me and Lynn,
0: Sandy said, Sandy and Brian are good friends of my sisters. And, uh, Sandy's like a sister to me. And I got an invitation. Sandy knows my story, knows that I've, that I had struggled with drugs and alcohol for many, many years. And I've been sober now coming up on 28 years. And, uh, Sandy thought that it would be a great fit for me to listen to yours and Lynn's story about, about your son, Zach. And so right. I got the invitation to Sandy's house a few weeks ago and,
1: Right, and that was one of the things that that we did at, at that time. We came and we and we talked to uh, not, not just you, but again, it, it was several of, of her friends, and that's part of what one of the things one of the things David that we're doing in the foundation now is uh, you know our mission is to eliminate the stigma of addiction, and part of that is about getting our story out and letting people know that you know what. Uh, addiction, the disease of addiction comes in a lot of different ways. Correct. And, and no one's story is exactly the same. And the more that we're able to talk about it and share that experience, uh, the, the more people that hopefully will be able to help that won't have a similar story, you know, to what Lynn and I had. And, and I think after, uh, you know, we had a couple hours that we were able to share here this afternoon and I learned a lot more of your story And uh, one of the things I think that's incredible that I I want us to talk about today is really just about what your recovery and what that's been like, because you've been now, what, 27 years? Yeah.
0: uh, February 12th will be 28. And uh, my life, you know... (laughs) To be honest, Jim, I should have been dead. I should have been dead many times over. Uh, the situations I put myself in, the disease where it took me, where I ended up sleeping in bushes and being shot and being stabbed, and uh, how I got sober and how I've been able to stay sober, and, and meeting so many great people in the program—it's um, been incredible. It's been—it's been a great ride.
1: Yeah. Man, that's uh, that's. That's fantastic. So, you know what? So, so tell us about, tell us about what your life is like now. What has, what has recovery? So oftentimes we'll start at the beginning of someone's story. You know, let's talk about your story now. So we're, you're 27 years into your recovery process. What is, what is life like for you now?
0: Uh, you know, life, I, I run a corporation I send guys to go spend a week on one of our yachts in the Amazon rainforest and we fish for a fish called a peacock bass. And, uh, that's what I do. Uh, that's my full-time job for me. I do a couple of really big conventions every year in Dallas and, uh, and I would never have been able to do any of that had I not gotten sober. Um, so my, you know, is my life perfect? No. Do I, do I struggle with things? Do we struggle with things financially wise, uh, emotional wise with my wife? You know, we, we have a great marriage, but I, I'm human. You know, it's not all sobriety is not all roses. Uh, there's a lot of ups and downs. Uh, no one ever told me 28 years ago that if I quit shooting dope in my arm, that my life was going to be great. Uh, That was never a promise. It was, it was just promised to me that if I kept coming back, that I wouldn't have to resort to getting loaded to push down the issues in my life. So now I, I, you know, as I get ready to turn another year of sobriety, uh, in February, um, things aren't great as far as I, you know, I still have problems. I, you know, especially with the COVID now happening, you know, it's, uh, it's done a lot of, uh, uh, things are, things are different now, uh, getting to meetings you know you got to talk to people on the phone more now you got to do podcast meetings uh the you know the standing around holding hands saying the lord's prayer after every meeting you just you can't get that right now because of what's going on in this world but if there's a will there's a way and and uh all of my friends are either friends that i've played golf with i play pickleball with or i've met in sobriety and they're all uh I, i wouldn't i wouldn't trade any of that for the world
1: so and i think it, so what what i hear what i hear you saying is that is that uh, being sober doesn't give you all of a sudden a perfect life correct it doesn't take away not using doesn't take away all of all of your problems but it also sounds like it enables you to be able to think through solutions
0: correct. On, on how yeah. to solve
1: them. and and i might say when you're on a yacht in the amazon rainforest that doesn't sound like it sucks either <laughs> <laughs>
0: But You know, my, my, uh, my problems now are different, you know, uh, 28 years ago, my problem was how am I going to get to court to go give the judge a progress report? Now my problems are, uh, I need to make sure that my, all my clients have passports and they're valid and they, they have their airfare all taken care of to and from Brazil, you know, that, so problems are still there, but they are a, a completely different set of problems. And uh, they're all problems that are are easily uh, fixed. So, so
1: David, tell me, how did you get from, how did you get from uh, f- from this guy on the brink of on the brink of jail, uh, been using for I don't know how how long you had been using for you know, f- till you got sober. So you've been sober twenty seven years. You're around my age, so. You had some years before then uh, that that you were using. How did you make that transition from from that point to get you to where you're at today? Because I imagine that there's some that, that there's going to be some young people uh, that, and when I say young people now, I talk about anyone younger than we are. <laughs> I think of it as a young person, right? So, so there's going to be some young people listening to this. They can't even imagine, and I know that that was one of Zach's things when he was working so hard to to get sober. He couldn't even imagine what that would be like because he had buried himself so deep into into problems. Uh, how, how did you make that transition, or talk to us a little bit about what that's like?
0: you know jim, when when I was out using, my whole life revolved around getting using and finding ways to get more, and you hear about it all the time, going to meetings you know, I, I put myself in positions where, you know, I was sleeping in bushes. Uh, I, I, I couldn't hold a thought Uh, if it wasn't for getting to the connection. uh, I didn't feel right. You know, if I wasn't either waking up with a bong in my hand or chasing a bag of dope all day long and all night long, I, I didn't feel right unless I was doing something like that. I got in a situation where I was looking at prison and I, you know, I, I've shared my story at meetings. If it weren't for me looking at doing three years in prison, I might have stayed out on the street longer, but I got into a situation where I had another opportunity to get sober one more time. And uh, the judge told me, look, either you get sober this time or you're going to go to prison. So I stayed sober. I went to a meeting, uh, you know, and, and I hung out with people that, were dealing with their disease on a daily basis. I I got rid of all my friends. I didn't hang out with anybody that was using. And I decided that I want to try this this sober thing one more time. And uh, by the grace of God, I've managed to put a few days together. And I have a completely different life now. Uh, I've got a beautiful wife. I've got two phenomenal kids. Uh, I've got a great profession that i get to go down and play around with fish in the amazon rainforest and i get paid a decent amount of money to do that with a lot i've met a lot of great people in my company and i couldn't have done any of that without uh, without without getting sober first
1: wow it, it, it just seems so um, i mean i see you now and i don't know you from before right right, right? right. so it's hard for me to imagine you know, again, the things we talked about two hours ago that were so problematic that that brought you to that that brink in that place. Uh, and, and we mentioned this a little earlier when we were there. Oftentimes, when when uh, someone who suffers with the disease of addiction they they make a decision that they want to they want to be sober. They're going to change your life. They go through a medical detox that lasts a couple weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, then they're in a, maybe a thirty-day or twenty-eight-day recovery program, right? right. And now they have third. Now they have thirty days, and they come out after thirty days, and they think, "Dude, I've got it, right? I got thirty days." <laughs> so after years and years of abusing friends, family, people you meet, and you're explaining to them, you're good. What kind of what kind of response? Well did,
0: did did you get from from those people of your past? Well you know I I've, I've got a I'm very close to my at the time I was very close to my two brothers actually one the one brother that lived here in California and my two sisters and I'm very very close to my mom. Um unfortunately my both my brothers died from the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh they both died within 7 months apart of each other. You know, I, you know, I, I tell people that when I go to, when I go to a meeting, I go to a meeting, hopefully I can learn something that'll, that'll stick with me that, that I can share to a newcomer and, and, but there's no guarantees. You know, I, I don't go to a meeting expecting all my troubles to go away. What I go to meetings for is that I go to meeting because the meetings teach me that first of all, I'm, I'm not alone. Okay. There are thousands and thousands of people around this country and around this world that have the same disease i have and everybody is that wants to find a way to get through that on a daily basis has that opportunity whether it be finding a sponsor you can work the steps with or just finding a meeting that you feel comfortable with enough to volunteer go in early and make coffee set up chairs be a treasurer be a secretary if they ask you to do a speaker meeting, chair the meeting, you know, that all that kind of stuff is all, it's like taking out an insurance policy on your sobriety. The more you invest yourself into something, the, the better you are off in the long run. Hmm.
1: So was it a relatively easy process for you then? I mean, once you started and you started going, you started going to meetings, it sounds like you still had some support from your family, which is great. Uh, but, but, you know, again, I'm, I'm just thinking again, I'm seeing you 27 years after what were those first two or three years like, like for you, how did you get, how did you get through that? Cause uh, I, again, uh, David, I can't help but think that there's some, that there's some young people right now that, that are hopefully listening and they're wanting to figure out, they're just thinking, man, this is tougher than I thought it was going to be. Oh, Jim, and it, and and, and that now what? Now what do I do? Because if I'm thinking, fifteen years down the road, twenty years down the road, there's no way I'm going to stay freaking sober for that long.
0: Well, that you know they they teach you that program. Don't don't worry about fifteen years down the road. Let's let's get you let's get through today first, and we'll worry about tomorrow when it gets here. You know, us being addicts and alcoholics. Whatever it be, whatever your drug of choice is, it doesn't really matter whether you're popping pills or you're throwing back uh, shots of Jack Daniels. You know, we, we are used to that instant gratification where we take that hit, we take that drink, we stick that needle in our arm, and within a few minutes, we are right where we wanted to be. That's what we paid that money for. When we get sober, we forget that we've caused pain to our loved ones, whether it be family members, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, Coworkers, wives girlfriends sons daughters that pain doesn't go away over a day a week a month a year sometimes that's something that you have to work through to get to a better place than where you started from we you know we get sober we we get sober for two weeks and we think that everybody should bow bow down to us and give us a prize we forget that the people around us our loved ones they don't have that disease of addiction. They've been living life on life's terms for their whole, you know, their whole existence. Yeah. They're happy that we're not out ripping and running and stealing to get our next fix. Yeah. They're really happy that we're not where we were two weeks ago, but two weeks is not two weeks. of bright. is not going to make up for 10, 12, 15 years of misery that we've imposed upon our loved ones. So, you know what I would tell someone that if anybody's listening today, wondering, you know, why aren't things better after me being sober for a month? Well, guess what? We didn't create this wreckage in a month's time. So we got to give not only ourselves a break, we've got to give our loved ones a break and understand that they still got a lot of pain that they are dealing with that we th- of the wreckage that we've caused.
1: And I hear that from from uh, people in recovery that I that I talk to. I often I often hear that you know they'll they'll have a conflict with their spouse, or with a with a friend, or or with a, a, another family member, and you know they feel like it's constantly being thrown back in their face. Well, I remember when I remember when you did this. I remember when you did that, and that's just something. It sounds like that's it, it comes with the, the territory. I mean, that's something that's just going to be like you said. You've developed that. You know, over over a period of time, and and now it's just something that has to be, it has to be processed through. But in time, in time, I'm guessing now you get to set up new experiences that people get to see you. They get to see you act differently, right? They get to see you respond differently,
0: right? Right.
1: Yeah. Th- but that's all part of the growth, and I'm guessing that that probably takes about what twenty seven years. <laughs> well,
0: twenty twenty seven <laughs> and counting. Thank you. <laughs> You know, you, you, you bring that up. There's a reason why the steps uh, for AA and NA, there's a reason why they're in order like the way they are. You know, that ninth step, making amends to the people that you've harmed. You know, it, it's there. It's down there towards the last few steps because Dr. Bob and Bill W. didn't want to have you biting off more than you could chew. They, they, the steps are in, in a certain order because of that. The, the first step being that you've admitted you're powerless over drugs and alcohol and that our lives are unmanageable. So, you know, that's why it's. I tell people when newcomers ask me what, you know, what do you suggest I do? I tell people go to a meeting, go to a meeting for 30 days every day, go to a meeting, whether it's an early morning meeting at seven o'clock or a noon meeting at 12 o'clock or a night meeting at seven o'clock. Get out there and go to a meeting. You know, what do you have to lose? Talk to people that are going through the same stuff you're going through. You would be amazed at how many people, once you share in a meeting level or once you share at a level after the meeting to somebody that, that you heard share in a meeting and you feel like maybe they've gone down a few of the same roads you've gone down in your addiction and taken you places. And You would be amazed at how easy it is to start a conversation and how much how much of the uh, stigma is taken away just by sharing with another individual what's going on in your daily life. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. It, you know, I, I, I have not been to a meeting since COVID. I, I one of my best friends is, uh, he's my sponsor and you know, I would call him my sponsor. He's been sober now for, I think 33, 33 years. And, uh, So we, we talk on a daily, if not, you know, at least three or four times a week we talk. And, uh, a lot of times he will tell me exactly what I need to hear when I need to hear it. Uh, and he is the first one that will call me on my crap. If I'm, if I'm in a place that I know that he knows I don't need to be, he'll be the first one that will tell me, well, why don't you think of it in these terms? Or he'll get me to look at it from a different angle and to me that's just the program working that's just stuff that that I've learned in over the years of being sober how how sobriety works and how the program works is that if you get into a situation there's not anything you can get into that a meeting or talking to a friend from the program won't help you out with
1: you know we were talking earlier and you know Decades ago, I I worked at the the Renaissance, right, uh, which is um, it was a, a drug and alcohol uh, treatment program for adolescents. And I I remember after my and you know, I was you know I was I was very young then, uh, by the way, and I had a lot more hair. <laughs> so, uh, but one of, one of the things that I often said. Uh, was that I, I thought that those of us who, who, who weren't addicts or weren't alcoholics, were really kind of shortchanged because I, I, one of the jobs I had is I took kids to meetings every night. That's that's what I did. So I worked a swing shift. So every night I would take a group. Every night that I worked for three years at at uh, the Renaissance, I'd take kids to to a meeting, and I would hear people just exactly what you're saying. They would, they would come in, they would talk. I mean, and and you you got all kinds of things, but you know, someone had a bad day. Someone had something that had really tore them up. There was somebody else there that had had a similar experience and they could talk about the kind of success that they had in dealing with that. And I used to think, why, you know, as as a person who's not in a program, where do I, where do I find that? And and now there are people that have great friends or that are in long-time therapy, you know, and they can pay somebody and go in once a week and Right, You know, and and they can, you know, they can unload, you know, all their stuff. I guess there are still, you know, some people that, you know, their church allows for, uh, you know, like, uh, I guess I can, in the Catholic church, you know, you go to confession, Right, uh, you know, I don't know that people go every week, but you know, how great to be able to go and talk about, you know, what's happening. And to someone who's listening, who's already heard it all, where there's nothing that you're going to say, that's going to, that's going to shock them And, and regular people. And I can tell you, this is one of the challenges I think that, that. That I, as I look back on it now, that Lynn and I had, there wasn't a parent group that we that we were aware of when we first became aware of Zach's addiction, where we could go and talk about that. We couldn't just go and openly share. It, it was like something that would have been embarrassing, right? If I just opened up to my next door neighbor, saying, yeah, "I found a bag of pills in my kid's room." It, it's easier just to deny that you ever saw it and 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 to go on. So, so so hearing that that there is this place. And this works now. And you may say, "Well, I don't like you know." I've I've heard you know some people in the recovery community. Hey, I don't like AA. I don't like NA. But and and maybe there's there's other ways to get sober or whatever. But the great thing about these programs that I do know is that anywhere I've ever been in the world, any cruise ship I've ever been on, uh, any time uh, that I've traveled on golf trips across the Atlantic, you know what? There's an AA meeting anywhere 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 so that means i can find somebody who knows where i've been right or 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 has experienced what i've experienced or worse that can that can share that can empathize and uh, that has more experience in it than i do and that can help me through it and and that's what i hear that's what i just heard from from you that that sounds like that has made a big difference for you
0: oh Undoubtedly, I, you know, you made a great point. When you go to a meeting, you hear somebody say, I'm a grateful alcoholic, that's exactly what they're talking about. It, had it not been for this person's or that person's drug addiction or alcoholism, they would have never learned this new way of living. There are so many people that walk around that. You almost wish they did have a drinking or drug problem because maybe they would become a better person because they would go to the meetings, they would find out why they act a certain way that they do. You know i don't I don't have a drug problem. I have a life problem. I think there are so many people out there that that don't realize that the alcohol and the drugs are just a symptom. there that that's not where the problem is. The problem is, you know what I have a problem communicating with my mom and dad. Yeah, one you know,
1: I yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The drugs and the alcohol—they really solve the problem, right? The problem is when I don't have those. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's-
0: yeah. You know, I I, I wish that uh, I had been brought up differently. You know, I, I looked look back at some of the stuff going on when I was 11, 12, 13 years old before I got into my drug addiction. You know, I just I had a my dad was a great provider. Was he a great dad? No. I, looking back, I think that he just I, I think he did the best he could with what he had to work with. How he was brought up from his dad, and but I I think that I there's so many times with my with my daughter or my son that I've tried to be more of a listener instead of a dictator, you know, dictating the orders of the house. You know, I would try to listen to my my daughter or my son if they had an issue. Um, you know, my dad was pretty much uh, just a uh, cut to the chase. This is the way it is. You know, I'm ruling the house and that's it. There's, there'll be no discussion. And I think that, I think if there are more discussions between moms and dads and sons and daughters, maybe there'd be a, the, keeping those communication lines open. Maybe there would be more of a chance for a son or a daughter to say, you know what, I, I'm having problems, you know, because you really want to you're not going to tell your friends. You're not going to become, look at, be looked upon by your peers as weak. And you're, if you don't have those communication lines open between you and your mom and dad, where else are you going to run? You, well, you're, we're going to find a way to mask that. And that's what I did when I was growing up. You know, I was a middle child, an uh, older brother and sister, a younger brother and sister. And I would, uh, looking back, I'm like, I was the black sheep of the family. I was always getting in trouble. And I had no way to get out of trouble except to go out and do the things that my peers were doing, which was smoking marijuana and drinking, drinking alcohol in the fig orchards growing up. So, you know, I, I really think that, uh, going to meetings and, and talking about what's going on on a daily basis. I wish, I wish there was more people that did that earlier on in their lives. Like maybe when they were 14, 15 years old that, you know, I don't know if they still have the Icky Paul here in Fresno. They used to have Icky Paul, which was a a teenage uh, meetings that they had for kids that were, I think, under the age of nineteen. That they would all get together and they would have meetings, and you know, you you really get a lot of good stuff out of that when you see a bunch of young kids talking about what's going on in their lives, and not and them you knowing that they're not going to resort to going out and popping some ecstasy or, you know, taking some pills from mom and dad's medicine cabinet to get through the day.
1: Yeah. You know, I, i I'm not even familiar with what, with what you're referring to. So I would say that chances are there are, that that program does not exist. Now I, I know there. that, I know that in the, in the schools, you know, there's some peer counseling stuff and there's, but I don't, but there's not a push that I'm aware of about any specific, uh, group you know that's someone okay. who was that was that was that was in pain and searching and then even if there was i don't know if that would be something that they would go to because that would yeah, be kind yeah. of outing themselves yeah you know.
0: it might not be hip yeah
1: right but but i'll I tell you uh, something that uh boy some of you said really struck a chord with me and and uh you know i, I think about i think about with zach uh there were there were times there were times when i really wanted to listen and he wouldn't talk i think by then it was probably too late because there were times that he probably wanted to talk and i wasn't listening uh, i think uh, i think it it, it was uh, it's real easy to get caught up you know in 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 what my life is right right you know and i think myself as a as a good dad i was very involved you know when he was younger but but uh, man, that's a great message, though. I think just for, just for, just for parents, you know. Gosh, we, you know, we we think we listen, but you know, do we just ask a question and then just shut up? Right. You know, and uh, and and what if there is some uncomfortable uh, time? What if I ask a question, and uh, he's not ready to talk? Does that mean that I just, you know, turn around and click on the the game and? And, and now it's done and, and I right. feel like, Hey, Hey, I did my part. Do I, you know, do, do I just go ahead and run off to the golf course and, and, and do what I'm going to do there and then, and then come back or, or, or do I just sit with the silence and, and uh, you know, somehow let him know that he's more important.
0: Well, you know, I, I you know, that's a great point, Jim. Cause you know, looking back at the relationship I had with my dad, you know, my dad was a very powerful figure. My dad was a, big man my you know i'm six three growing up i was i was a big kid in school but unfortunately my dad was six six my dad was a big big man so i couldn't really get in his face we you know he ran the ran the house you know with an iron fist you know that was it you know i i didn't have much discussions with my dad but you know i i've always tried to to be open-minded um with my daughter and you know i fell short of the mark a lot with my daughter and i hope that i i learned some of my mistakes with my son you know i've i always tell people i'll 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 bring it up in the meeting and i i if i had to pick one father to be like i think it would probably be andy taylor you know and Opie taylor you know andy was always so involved with Opie, and he he was always listening and he always tried to get down to Opie's level to talk to him and i think that you know if you're out there, if you're a youngster, uh, you know, if you're a young adult or if you're an older parent struggling with either one of these issues, you know, I, I would, if, if a young, young adult came up to me and asked me, how can I go, you know, how can I discuss something with my dad? I would say, just talk to him like he's your friend, you know, and the same with a, a parent that's, having, that's struggling with an issue with their son or their daughter, uh, you know, to just keep those communication lines open and listen. Uh, I, I think that more times than not, we don't want to hear what's going on with our kids. Cause we don't want to believe that our kids are the ones that are having the problem. Right. Yeah. Oh. No,
1: No. know we, yeah, we, I mean, I didn't Right. E- even when confronted with all the evidence, I still, made up another story in my mind. It's amazing how our defense mechanisms can, you know, can keep us away from, uh, from what, from what the truth
0: is. Right. Right. From we, what the truth yeah. is.
1: But I think with, uh, you know what? And, and, and that might be a great place. Uh, uh, David, for us to, you know, for us to close down today is, is, is really, and it's funny how it, this is what we, we come around to today was, was really about communication about being able to, talk about, being able to share about opening up those lines of communication in, in our, in our families, whether it's between the, uh, a mother and father, their lines of communication need to be open. If they're going to listen to issues that their kids have, and then right. open up lines of communication with your children, uh, and back forth. And, and, uh, you know, for, for young people that are out there too, it's not too late for you to open up to your parents. I don't care if you're thirty years old. I don't care how how old you are. You know, it's 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 not too late to, um, to say the things that you need to say. I just, I, uh, I'm just aware that there are
0: times
1: that can happen when you won't be able to sail.
0: Well, you you, you hit the nail on the head, Jim. Um, you know, I, I lost my dad when he was 54. My dad sold his businesses, got a fever the next year, didn't know what the, was causing the fever. From the time he got the fever, the very first time he got the fever, within five weeks we buried him. Unfortunately, I was still out using. I didn't get sober this last time until after my dad had passed away. My dad died in 1986. Excuse me, 1987. He got he had sold his business in '86, and uh, so I, you know, I. I can't, I can't turn back the clock. Uh, I'll tell you what I did do, though, you know, with the advice of my sponsor back when I got sober in 91 for the first time because I had to go back out, do a little bit more research and then get sober again. But uh, I remember sitting down and writing a 14 page letter to my dad and going out to his grave and reading it to him awesome. and to put some closure on that. But yeah, you're right. You're right. The communication, I believe communication is just, it's such a vital key to sober living. And when I mean sober, I don't mean sober as far as like drugs and alcohol only. If you look at the word sober in the dictionary, sober in the dictionary says peace of mind. So whether you have a drug or alcohol disease or addiction there's a lot of people in this world that don't have peace of mind that they have they've never they've never done drugs and alcohol so right you know I think communication lines I think uh to to have a a sober outlook on life with your family, friends, loved ones I I think communication is just a huge vital part of the the healing process. Oh.
1: I I it it couldn't be said better. Yeah. Um, that's it. D- David, thanks so much for uh, for coming out and and uh, and, and sharing with us uh, today. Um, it, maybe we'll pick up this conversation again, if not on the pickleball court, but uh, <laughs> back here in the studio sometime.
0: Jim, thank you so much for having me, and it's been a pleasure. It's, it's uh, I, I'm so I'm so happy and thankful to Sandy for putting me and you together in each other's yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah. No, no, this it's is a great. Pleasure.
1: Yeah. So with that, we'll say uh, goodbye. I'm uh, I'm Zach's dad. Tell someone you love them today. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at ZacharyHortonFoundation.org.